Hi, everyone. Welcome to the July 8th, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm Eden Lane, sitting in as guest host. Thanks for joining us as the summer-long search for the new permanent host continues. We have a great panel of people ready to provide analysis and exchange ideas. So let's get right to topic one. Governor Jared Polis has issued an executive order regarding, illegal, uh, regarding legal protections for people who come to Colorado for abortions, as well as for people supporting them in crossing the state line for, um, for the procedure. And then the order also protects medical workers from professional sanctions for providing those services. And, well, I want to ask you, Patty, we're going to start off with Patty, who is leading off, leading off our discussion tonight, as always, in the lead chair. She's the founder and editor of Westward. Patty, what stands out for you about Governor Polis's executive order and the one that just came from President Biden earlier today before we met? Well, first, let all of Colorado Inside Out give thanks for Biden coming out before noon, before we film this, <laughs> with his executive order. Now, we remembered that really it's a state's rights issue now. So Biden said there's not much he can do in this executive order. I mean, he definitely is having studies done. He's asked um, his cabinet to look into things. But what he flat out said is it has to be changed by Congress. The thing you need to do if you want to change this is to go to the midterms and vote for people who will reinstitute that right. Polis on Wednesday came out. We've already re we already have the right in Colorado. We, in 1967, Governor Love signed that law that decriminalized abortion, and that law is still on the books here. I mean, we are a state that protects the right. And in April, Polis and the, uh, the legislature pushed through the Reproductive Health Equity Act, reaffirming the right in Colorado. And then Polis took it one step further because you have states like Texas, which are basically asking people to narc on neighbors who are getting abortions. And he has basically made this a sanctuary state for a right that we have had for more than 50 years women deserve to keep. And good for him for doing it, good for Biden going forward, and good luck to all the people who are now providing services for those who had to leave their home states. Also joining us today is Krista Kafer, columnist with the Denver Post. Krista, clearly there's going to be legal questions about these executive orders, as there always would be. But do you see this as either executive order and elected official overstepping their authority? You know, I, I think the problem here is that there is, uh, it, it's sort of an executive order without a problem. Mm. Um, most states are not looking at legislation that penalizes women. Most states are looking at legislation or have enacted a legislation that says to abortionists, hey, if the baby has a heartbeat, you, you can't do the abortion. If the baby is, say, 15 weeks along and has arms and legs, fingers and toes, brain activity, can feel pain, you can't do the abortion. It's not about the woman um, in the sense that no pro-life organization that I know of even advocates for, for penalizing women. It's all about telling abortionists, hey, if this child is fairly well developed, you can't do the abortion, period. And so to say that, well, we're going to have laws that, that protect women, we're not even talking about women here. We're talking about restrictions, common sense restrictions on abortions that says, no late-term abortions, no abortions after a heartbeat, no abortions after brainwaves, that kind of thing. And so I think in some ways I think it's kind of a, 
shame on you to these guys that they are using this as an election issue, maybe red meat for the base, when in fact there really is no problem here. People will continue to come to the state for abortions and have even before Dobbs. Uh, before Dobbs, this was a destination state for late-term abortions because we have an abortionist here that specializes in those abortions. And no one's ever, you know, gone to the airport and said, oh, you know, you, you, you left visibly pregnant from New Mexico and then you returned home uh, not pregnant and not with a baby. No one's asking these questions. Um, this is really just about throwing some red meat to the base when, in fact, at, at any point, any woman can come to the state and get an abortion, even if her own state is saying, no, that baby's too well developed, you can't do it here. Also with, at the table is Eric Sonderman, columnist with Colorado Politics and the Denver Gazette. Eric, some advocates are already questioning if the governor can or should call a special session to put these... Uh, points that he had in his executive order into law. What would be your advice about that? that? Oh, I think the next session will come along uh, soon enough. Uh, Colorado, you know, in a, in a weird way, if you are a woman in Colorado, you have more rights after the Dobbs decision than you did before because the Reproductive Equity Act that took effect is more expansive than the Roe v. Wade decision that was overruled. So obviously that is the status in Colorado. That is not the status in many other states. Krista talked about red meat being thrown to the base. Lord knows there's plenty of red meat being thrown to the base out there. There's also plenty of blue meat being thrown uh, <laughs> to, to, to that base uh, as well. I, I think this is just a function that the Dobbs de decision is accelerating this trend where red America becomes ever more redder and blue America becomes ever more bluer and we, we continue to pull apart and continue to divide. I would love it if Krista was right in terms of other states not hassling women who come to Colorado or to some other state that has liberalized abortion law. But as I look to Missouri, for instance, they are actively talking about, if they haven't already enacted, laws that would pro prohibit a pregnant woman from crossing state lines into a state in order to have that procedure. I just think that that is, wherever you come down on the issue of choice versus life, and I hate those two terms, but that's the way it's gotten framed, Wherever you come down on that, ultimately this is a medical procedure. I'm someone who's had more than my share of joint replacements. If I want to go get a joint replacement in Wyoming or Kansas or California or wherever, that is my business. And I don't think it should be any different with this particular medical procedure. Uh, under the Dobbs decision, states do have the ability to crack down on abortion if that is the majority will in that state other states uh, like colorado have the ability to go the other direction and women should be able to travel with medical privacy to do what they wish to do completing our panel is denise mayas principal at mayas solutions llc denise um activists on whether they're uh, for abortion rights or op opposed to abortion rights see the upcoming elections as a chance to change that outcome. Eric talked about that it, it's they don't need a special session here in Colorado, but that might not be true with this um, being used as a way to activate the base on either side. What are your thoughts about whether or not that's something that people should be focused on this year? Well, I, I certainly think individuals need to be focused on this issue, among others, because uh, this does really 
uh, it seems from some of the recent polling I've seen and some articles that I've read that there are a lot more Democrats that are energized to vote as a result of the Dobbs decision. I also want to say that the, the other, the reason why that's also important is, you know, one of the things that government can do is it can be reactionary, but it can also get ahead of the problem. So to Krista's point, this is a, a way for the governor to get ahead of what might potentially be problems. Because the other important part of his executive order has to do with the provider of the abortion. Mm -hmm. And there are states that uh, wh whose trigger laws and other laws do go after the provider. And so bottom line is what this governor is saying in his executive order is that whether you are seeking an abortion um, in the state of Colorado or you are one that is providing an abortion in the state of Colorado, the governor has your back. And that's a good message to send. So we're going to move on to topic two. The primaries have ended. But the conversations continue. An analysis of primary voter turnout showed that it had the largest dip in young voters since they were first tracked in 2018. And according to a national election analyst, Colorado Republicans have a higher chance of gaining a seat in the U.S. Senate after Joe O'Day's victory over fellow Republican Ron Hanks. O'Day has been marked as a, quote, credible challenger to Democratic Senator Michael Bennett. So, Krista, what are your thoughts about most of the mainstream Republicans, particularly in Colorado, surviving and, and capturing their, their place on the ballot coming this general election? And how do you see the midterms playing out? Yeah, I tell you what, I am completely relieved that they actually chose good candidates. Ganahl, I say they, I was one of the choosers. Ganahl, um, also O'Day and Anderson, solid candidates, uh, people that can appeal to moderate Democrats as well as independents. I think it would have been a complete dumpster fire, honestly, if they had picked some of the Looney Tune conspiracy theory, uh, conspiracy theory people. Uh, I, I'm excited about the O'Day race. Uh, Bennett came in with about 50% of the vote last time, and he had a fairly weak challenger. Well, he was a good person, but a kind of a flawed candidate. And O'Day is strong. He's got, he's got the money. He's got the drive. Um, he's fairly, fairly moderate. I think he will appeal both to older voters and younger voters, independents, maybe even some moderate Democrats. Eric, she, she noted that O'Day uh, is a strong candidate. He might even have been made stronger by the campaign of Democrats in his primary. So what advice would you give to candidates in that race or any of the other statewide races heading into the fall? I think that's a great point, Eden. I mean, they beat so hard on O'Day for being, you know, uh, too moderate and tried to build up uh, Hanks as the true conservative in the race that now it makes O'Day's race to the middle, which is where he is anyway, authentically, <laughs> uh, it, it, it makes that easier. I, I, Chris is absolutely right. I mean, Ron Hanks would have been I don't know, about as electable as what, a, a urinal cake or something like that. Um, and uh, it wouldn't have been a race. Now we have a race. We'll have to see if Joe O'Day can hit the fastball. I mean, he still hasn't really been tested. Uh, he's stepping up in, 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 in the, from the minor leagues to the major leagues here. We'll see how he responds. And ultimately, this is not going to be the first race that tips nationally. If Joe O'Day hmm. defeats Michael Bennett, he will not be the 51st Republican senator. He's more likely to be the 54th or 55th Republican senator because for O'Day to get elected in a state like Colorado, there will have to be a very substantial national wave going. And we'll see as the summer and fall unfold how big that wave is. 
Denise, what are your thoughts about the turnout among younger voters taking such a dip? I, I think it's terrible, and I, I think it's incumbent upon um, Senator Bennett to get out the vote. Um, it's actually it's um, it's important on all fronts that both parties or all of us, uh, independent organizations like Mi, Filia, Mi Familia Vota mm -hmm. or New Era, to get out um, young folks to vote because it's a really important election. Now, look, I, I wanted to be known that some shows ago I predicted that this is the way that the Republicans <laughs> would go because a lot of those other candidates were just like so unbelievable and really un unelectable, and I think the Republicans are smart enough to see that. Uh, whether it's a urinal cake or whatever it is, you know, I think, which incidentally, Eric, I don't really know what you meant by that, but I agree with you that O'Day surpasses that that mark. Um, and I think the uh, the pressure and the burden is going to be on Senator Bennett. I think he's a, he's been a terrific um, senator for the state of Colorado. I think he he wears the values of Colorado, and I think he legislates according to those values. I think he's a terrific senator, so I think he just has to stay with the bread and butter issues that are really on the minds of all Coloradans, stick to the message, and I think if young people get to vote and folks thinking about the um, Dobbs decision get out to vote, I think Michael Bennett will, will go to victory. Patty, I'll, I'll bet that in the Bennett campaign they're surprised that uh, he's considered to be vulnerable in Colorado at this time. What are you looking for in the midterms for his race or any of the others? We're looking for a lot of money to be spent. And <laughs> I don't think Michael Bennett was necessarily surprised. I mean, you have to look at what's going on across the country to know that there are pos possibilities to be vulnerable. Since the urinal cake is out of the race, I think we can <laughs> safely say that O'Day looks pretty reasonable. And it is ironic, the amount of money the Democrats paid in the kind of little dirty tricks campaign to paint Ron Hanks, you know, as way too conservative will backfire because Michael Bennett is going to have to spend a lot of that money, and fortunately he has a lot of it, to remind people that O'Day is not all that moderate on certain issues. I do think we talked about the abortion issue. That is going to bring out voters in ways that maybe younger people weren't interested in the primaries. It didn't seem like that big an issue at the time. It was just beginning to really explode. And we have to remember, it's only recently that unaffiliated people have been able to vote in the primaries. I think a lot of younger voters, I mean, the numbers were big in 2020, but that wasn't a primary that we were talking about. Here in this case, they might not have thought it really mattered that much, but it will matter in November. Mm -hmm. So I think they just kept their powder dry and decided they would deal with it later. And I think they will have come out in large amounts in November, and abortion will be one of the issues, and that's one where we're going to have to see where Heidi Ganahl really stands, where Joe O'Day really stands. Moving on to topic three, according to the Colorado Health Foundation's annual survey, housing costs are Coloradans' biggest concern. Eighty-two percent of participants marked housing costs as, quote, extremely serious or very serious. Eric, how do you read the survey results? Uh, they were a little... They were a little predictable, but still, it's alarming at the numbers. A little predictable. I mean, anyone who didn't answer that question in the affirmative, you wonder what universe uh, they are living in, having recently been in the housing market, helping our daughter get a starter home in Denver. And starter homes are not like uh, starter <laughs> homes when any of the rest of us were uh, looking to do that however many years or decades ago. 
uh, it's multiple factors. It's the cost of housing. Now it's the interest rates increasing. I read yesterday that someone who two months ago could have pre-qualified for a mortgage of $875,000 can now pre-qualify for a mortgage of $725,000. So they've lost $150,000 of purchasing power just because of the hike in interest rates and what that does to monthly payments. Housing is not the only issue, but it is very high on the list of issues bedeviling Colorado right now. There will be some proposals on the ballot, statewide ballot, presumably this fall. Uh, we'll see if those proposals have merit, uh, but it's going to be an issue we're talking about around this table for a long time to come. Mm -hmm. Denise, we often discuss equitable housing solutions in the front range and across the state. What is your reaction to the survey? Because it didn't seem to really capture uh, differences in communities. That's exactly right. And I, I was just thinking, as Eric was talking, you know, he's talking about folks who who are in the market for a $700,000, $800,000 home. But what about those individuals that are really just inches away from being evicted from their home or can't even afford to rent nowadays because rent is going up? And I think those are the individuals that, you know, that I really, really... Um, and very concerned about and really create a lot more worry because that then leads to individuals being unhoused. It leads to more of our homeless problems that we have that then leads to many of our other societal ills that we have out there. If we can't solve this housing crisis, there's a lot more crisis needs to follow. And I think that's what local governments and state governments and national our national government needs to really think about. How do we close this gap? Because at the end of the day, there is nothing like being able to call a place home and everyone ought to have one. Patty, what do you see as elected officials, what are they doing to address this or what should they be doing to address this? Well, in Denver right now, you have the new affordability rules for developers that just went into effect July 1st, which ex explains why so many developers filed their projects mm -hmm. on June 30th. But they are gonna have to set aside a certain amount of, of property for affordable housing when they do a development. On the other hand, affordable may not be the people Denise was just talking about. You know, it's still going to be maybe affordable if you're earning 60 or 70, not less than that. But also on top of it, there's a new definition that is going through city council on putting aside, say, 30% of the affordable housing stock for those who are displaced or in danger of being displaced already because of the high cost of housing. It mostly sounds like full employment for bureaucrats trying to figure out how this works, but <laughs> at least it's an effort. And it's imp imperfect, but they're trying. There's a protest on Sunday at the state capitol to talk about what's going on with the high cost, not of living, but of where to live. And that's the big issue in Colorado right now. Krista, how does Colorado approach this and, and do it fairly for everyone, including landowners? Well, we definitely need more stock. I mean, the more stock, you can meet that higher demand. What I'm concerned about is, uh, is what happens down the road when you don't have that kind of stock. So I lived in Washington, D.C. when I was in my 20s and 30s, and I had roommates, and we lived in group houses, and, you know, we just made do. But I had never bought a house there because, at the minimum, you would need uh, half a million dollars and um, or be able to qualify for a, a, that kind of a loan. And, and you'd still be living about... 45 minutes from the downtown area. So it was a really tight housing market. And so when I came to a point in my life where I wanted 
to own a home, I moved back home. So how many young people have come to Denver in the Denver area saying this is such a great place for a job to get started in a career and they rent and rent and rent and then when it comes time to have a family or to get their own house, they think I'm going back to Omaha. And so we may see some downstream impacts if we do not increase stock that allows people of a variety of incomes to be able to buy a home. Denver International Airport Chief Philip Washington has been tapped by President Biden to lead the Federal Aviation Administration. If confirmed, Washington will be replacing former American Airlines pilot Billy Nolan and facing the challenges of increasing air travelers combined with increased canceled flights. Washington hasn't commented on the nomination just yet. Denise, uh, he hasn't been in the job at DIA for very long. So what do you, how, do, how does DIA in Denver handle replacing him so soon? Well, I think that is the challenge. Um, I think there's already a lot of commentators that are making note of that very fact. He's been there about 12 months, and you have a mayor that is soon to exit. And so the individual that either uh, that comes in has to be willing to take it for, for potentially a short period of time. I suppose the new mayor might keep that individual on. Um, but what the mayor's uh, folks have been saying is, hey, don't worry. We got this. Everything be, you know, everybody be careful. We have a great team at DIA and we have someone ready to take the helm uh, should Phil Washington actually leave. And look, I think Phil, uh, you know, he doesn't have any of the industry ties. He's an exceptional administrator. Anyone you talk to at the city just thinks he's fantastic. Um, he has a tough job ahead of him, like like you uh, quoted in, in the question. You have people that are facing flight cancellations, flight delays, um, detours, and having to take buses and trains and everything else to get to their ultimate destination. Um, so he has a big job ahead of him, but because of his credentials, his smartness, um, I'm sure that he'll rise to the occasion. Patty, what do you think finding his replacement, what should that process look like? Let's hope it's open. Uh, one of the things that's interesting about, and people were kind of surprised when Phil Washington ca came back. He'd run the RTD here. He'd gone mm -hmm. to L.A. to run their transit program. And they're like, and people said, what does he have to do with an airport? Well, he turned things around pretty fast, which indicates not only is he smart, but he had smart people around him. Look at what a mess DIA was in, over budget, over schedule on this endless renovation and expansion project. And now we're pretty much back on track. Phil Washington's not the only reason. He has a good team around him. Let's hope the team stays in place and that the city administration pays attention, which is clearly one of the problems under the Kim Day administration, that Hancock did not keep his eye on the ball. Krista, we just also heard about the uh, huge grant being given to DIA. What do you think about the timing of this departure, and is there any connectivity there? You know, I don't know if there's any connectivity. It is a terrific airport. It certainly had its issues over the last couple of years with the construction, and I'm glad that Washington was able to kind of turn some of that around. He has a ton of experience when it comes to tra uh, transit, including serving on the Biden transition team. And so he would be—I I, I could see where— you might want to go to the FAA after having to deal with DIA because it's been such a problematic problem. But then again, getting that grant and being able to do something exciting with that would be a great experience. I, I wish him the best, and I hope that he gets the job that he wants. Eric, what, what do you th want to see in the next person, and what would your advice be for, for them? Good luck is my advice, just as that's also my advice to Phil Washington, assuming he uh, is confirmed and, and takes over the FAA. Um, Denise and others have pointed it out. I mean, this is a time of major mess with anything aviation. 
Phil, Phil is, first of all, somebody I know a dozen years ago. We served together on a civic board, the Cara I Have a Dream Foundation. He's a good human, a good individual. I enjoyed uh, working with him in that capacity. He is not at his core until a year ago when he took the DIA job, an aviation guy, and now he's going to become the ultimate aviation guy in the country. Uh, he's a very capable human being, uh, and you know the Biden administration could certainly do worse, and, and probably has. So that brings us to what the panelists call their favorite part of the week. They get to name a disgrace of the week. Patty, who is your disgrace, or what is your disgrace of the week? Well, I've said his name many times, and I hope I get to say it plenty more. John Eastman, who had been at CU as the conservative voice. You know, there are plenty of conservative voices who do not advocate insurrection and turning and throwing over the government. He has now been um, subpoenaed to go testify in Georgia regarding their election investigations. And Jenna Ellis is going along for the ride, too. So Colorado is still representing. Krista, <laughs> you're some, your disgrace of the week? I'm going to give it to Marvel Comics. I just saw that Thor movie, and it's terrible. Um, I think that, that, you know, it's basically you're in okay of a film. And <laughs> The Marvel has gone so totally woke. I don't go to Thor movies because I want to be preached at. I go to see him without a shirt on. And there was only one scene like that, and the rest of it was wokeness. And avoid it. Don't, don't waste your money. Eric, your disgrace of the week? Uh, the Drug Enforcement Administration, your tax dollars at work, they did a bust of somebody in Georgetown, Colorado, coming down I-70 with more fentanyl in that car than in any other bust on any other roadway ever in the United States. Enough fentanyl that if ingested directly would kill tens of millions of people. What did they do with this individual? They let him go under the theory, they put a tracking device on his car and under the theory that he was going to lead them to his higher ups somewhere back in the Midwest. Guess what? He didn't. He split. He got rid of the tracking device. Uh, the biggest bust in history sort of went up in powder. Denise, your disgrace of the week? Um, my disgrace of the week is uh, Ohio State Governor DeWine, who thought it would be acceptable to force a 10-year-old who, who became pregnant, impregnated by rape to carry that pregnancy to term. There is disgraceful, and there is disgraceful. Well, fortunately, we have a little bit of time for something nice, so we're going to do the bumper sticker version of something nice. Patty? Get out and enjoy Denver this weekend, especially the Black Arts Festival in City Park. I'm going to give it to Liz Cheney, who is the subject of my column on Sunday. I know I've said it before, but she really is a woman worth admiring because of her courage. On a related note, the Conservative Party in Britain, which finally had enough of Boris Johnson's shamefulness and atrociousness, and maybe some Conservatives' uh, counterparts in the U.S. Uh, who are still loyal to their grandmaster might, uh, might reflect on that. Uh, the Village Collaborative, who just opened their mm -hmm. next new safe outdoor site on the west side of Denver. Some of those folks actually go to permanent housing, and that's a here, here. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Don't forget to share your thoughts with us at CIO at PBS12.org. Once again, I'm Eden Lane. Thank you for joining me this week, and good night. Thank you.